intervenes in in a very white way. <laughs> yes, like she will very... do a lot of things in a very white way. <laughs> she intervenes. <laughs> everyone this is alex and this is m welcome to the latest episode of the good the bad the basic this is the podcast for tv lovers movie buffs and binge watchers of all ages on this podcast we'll be discussing what we loved what we hated and what was just a bit problematic about the tv and movies that we're addicted to and do a bit of rewriting where necessary For much more exclusive content, become a show producer on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode outtakes, curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join the GBB family at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. Today, we're debuting GBB's 12th season, Off to College. During the course of this season, Alex and I will be discussing an oft-overlooked television subgenre, College Years. Whether it's a young adult's first bold foray into independence or an older adult's opportunity to explore different sides of themselves, the college experience is unique, compelling, and unforgettable. That's why we decided to pay homage to some of the most popular college series of our time. We're debuting this 12th season with one of the most popular, critically acclaimed sitcoms of this millennium, Community. Community follows an unlikely group of friends who meet upon attending Greendale Community College and chronicles their personal antics, burgeoning camaraderie, and their wildly inappropriate relationship with their dean. What is it about this mildly over-the-top show set in a fictional town in Colorado that kept audiences hooked? Stay tuned. All right, everyone, here are some critical details about Community. The series is a sitcom created by Dan Harmon. It was released from September 17th, 2009 through June 2nd, 2015 on the NBC network for a total of six seasons and 110 episodes. The series stars Joel McHale as Jeff Winger. He is a former lawyer who is suspended from the state bar because he lied about having a bachelor's degree. Jillian Jacobs as Britta Perry, an anarchist atheist activist who is also a high school dropout who's attending college for the first time after traveling the world. Dan Pudi as Abed Nadir. He is an American of Palestinian and Polish descent. He's a film student. Uh, He has an encyclopedic knowledge of TV and films. He's neurodiverse. And this character is based on one of Dan Harmon's friends, Abed Gethir. Uh, The Abed character is Troy's best friend. Yvette Nicole Brown uh, as Shirley Bennett. She is a main character from seasons one through five and a recurring character in season six. She is a divorced mother and a devout and outspoken Christian. She's going to school to uh, learn how to start a business. Donald Glover as Troy Barnes. Um, he is featured in seasons one through five. 
He is a former high school quarterback who purposely injured himself to lose his scholarship. He is a closet nerd and Abed's best friend. Ken Jong as uh, Ben Chang. He is unstable and erratic. He wants to be part of the group. Uh, this character takes turns being the Spanish teacher in season one, a student in season two, a security guard in season three, and a math teacher in seasons five through six. Chevy Chase as Pierce Hawthorne. He's a main character in seasons one through four and a guest character in season five. He is a millionaire and CEO who has been enrolled at Greendale for a decade to find himself. He's kind of on the fringes of the group. And last but not least, Jim Rash as Craig Pelton, a recurring character in seasons one and two, and a main character in seasons three through six. He is the dean of Greendale Community College. Very inappropriate. Desperately wants his college to be accepted as a real university and later revealed to be a cross-dresser. These characters are already very colorful just talking about them. So let's just jump into that first season. Season one, 25 episodes. Incredibly ambitious. Let's talk about it. Right. Well, you know, because it's like a sitcom. So because that's probably. Yeah, because it's a sitcom. So it's interesting. So it's interesting because you we were like not going to talk about this show because you were like, do we have to talk about this show? And <laughs> then we had like <laughs> an hour discussion about it. So we were like, I guess we have to talk about it. <laughs> Um, and it was only about, like, one character and not even the show in general. <laughs> right, right. Um, so it's interesting. So Dan Har- I do want us to talk a bit about Dan Harmon. Uh, very cursory, like, talk about him. So Dan Harmon is one of those creators that has, like, a cult of personality around them. Like, you know, like a Joss Whedon, like a Damon Lindelof, like a Lena Dunham. <laughs> and... Mm. Aside from Lena and and, aside, and Damon Lin, Damon Lindelof aside, uh, because um, I'm naming problematic creators because Dan Harmon is problematic, <laughs> but he is one of those people that like weird nerds like really defend. And uh, he his other his other big thing like beyond Community is um, is Rick and Morty, and you know how people feel about that that show like rick and morty is like extremely it's like a big bona fide hit for Mm -hmm. cartoon network um and the adult swim banner that it runs under and people really love it and you know angry white very honest rick and morty walks so that bojack horseman could run right and 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 angry white boys really love it so Because they're completely missing the point, but that's another that's another discussion. Right, that's another discussion for another po- day. But but <laughs> angry white boys really love it. Um. So so I feel like that is so that's I guess a little bit about Dan Harmon. If you were like if you didn't know, that's sort of his his deal. It's now come out since since Community has like ended. It's like there was a lot of like tumultuous things that apparently happened behind the scenes of the show. Like apparently like Dan Harmon was like a monster, like to his writers and like his writer's room. Um, NBC fired him halfway through the run of the show. (laughs) And then Joel McHale um, lobbied to like, essentially like went on a one person lobby to get him back and succeeded. And then NBC rehired him for I think the last two seasons of the show. 
So there's like a lot that's going on. So if you're if you're here to, so if you are like a community or like a Dan Harmon hater or a Dan Harmon supporter, just know that we don't really feel, at least I don't really feel either way. Like I don't. Same. Mostly because I do don't. not care. We, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I'm not here to litigate whether he's like a good or a bad person. Like I, I guess that's what I should say. We're not here to litigate whether he's a good or bad person. We are here to judge the work. And I think knowing about him and knowing about a creator contextual helps to contextualize the work. But I'm not here to like, I'm not here to be like, Dan Harmon should never work again. Or like, or, you know, Dan Harmon should do every single like TV show ever because he's like a genius. And I feel like, like, I'm not here to do either of those. <laughs> I don't care that much. Same, same. I really don't care that much. Um, and here's the thing. Um, there are people that are incredibly problematic and this shows up in their work. Right. And then there are people that are incredibly problematic, but give their work so much thoughtfulness and so much nuance. And I believe Dan Harmon is in the latter category. Right. And I, I don't will... think his work is as problematic as whatever he is. <laughs> same. And I, and, and actually I, I was going to say, I think like, it's a little bit of both, especially when we, when it comes to discussing and looking at community, like I think both is there. I think there are a lots of big problems, but I also think there's lots of thoughtfulness and beauty in it as well. Like it truly community to me truly is one of those shows where as bad as the bad things are, the good things are, are of equal measure. And mm -hmm. therefore, and to me that, like they can, and so therefore, like they cancel each other out. If that makes sense. Mhm, mm mhm. Mm I like, agree with that. And honestly, the more I watch the show, you know, following our conversation, the more I realize that the quote-unquote bad stuff is really just messy stuff, and the messy stuff needs to be there in order to lend a sort of uh, relatableness and endearing quality to certain characters. Ooh, certain characters certain characters are just not likable but certain characters are likable specifically because they're messy Ooh, that's interesting i can't wait for more of your thoughts on that so so let's jump in season one so season one we are set up to and we enter the world of glendale glendale or glendale greendale? community yeah uh greendale greendale community college okay. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch out Grendale I'm gonna switch out uh Glendale and Greendale Community College because I did read that like Dan Harmon briefly went to Glendale Community College, which is right. somewhere in California, and that mm -hmm. community is based off of those experiences. So I'm gonna switch out those two, but I'm not talking about the real school he went to. I'm just I'm just switching them out because my brain is ridiculous. When we open into season one, we meet Jeff, um, who there's not really a main character. It's an ensemble cast. But if we had to pick a protagonist, it would be Jeff in this first season, at least. Right. Um, he's at the school. Uh, we meet uh, Annie. We meet um, we meet Britta, Troy, Pierce and uh, Shirley. Everyone's here. Everyone's and Abed. And Abed. Yes, yes, yes. I'm not really sure. I talked about uh 
Annie going in actually. Did I mention her when when we yeah, Annie is played by Allison Bree. Um she's best known for being Trudy yes. Campbell. Trudy Campbell. Yeah, she she played Trudy Campbell in Mad Men. Um Annie is very bright-eyed, very bushy-tailed. Um, she's not exactly like fresh out of high school, right? But if there's anyone that's the, supposed to be our representative of the high school girl, I guess it would be Annie. Yeah, definitely. Annie and Annie with like a really weird, like a really crazy uh, a backstory because she and Troy went to high school together, but she flunked out of high school because of uh, a pill addiction, essentially. Right. And so... She's like a lot of people, well, not a lot, but there's a very large minority of recovering addicts who then overcompensate with what I like to call toxic positivity. (laughs) And Annie is one of those people. Like, she just pretends like she doesn't have any negative feelings anymore because acknowledging them would lead her down a particularly slippery slope. Right. Like, so, you, like you said, we meet all these characters and they're all, like you said, Annie is a, that, Jeff is a sociopathic narcissist. Yes, and yes. <laughs> There's no... I mean, light on the sociopath, but heavy on the narcissist. <laughs> heavy, heavy on the narcissist. Yeah, more more narcissist than sociopath. But pathological liar, completely self-absorbed narcissist, just here selfish is like an understatement and he's literally every stereotype of your typical defense attorney (laughs) (laughs) he really is um here to get in and get out uh britta is britta's character becomes more focused i think in the later seasons but in the beginning she at least in this first season she's supposed to be our our audience surrogate right right um She's not like once you once we get to season two, she's no longer that. But it, here in this first season, she is like our our audience surrogate because she's kind of the only one that can see through Jeff. Um, she is like a like a like I said, her, her first season she's really ill defined, um, but she's kind of like an activist and like a bartender, and she's just kind of like your typical your audience surrogate like has a conscience do gooder person. Abed is very interesting. Uh at once fascinating and um very problematic as a character, but he is in this first season I think they they do say he's Muslim, but he's Muslim and or comes from like a traditional like Muslim family and he's yeah, like he's a Palestinian and Polish. Polish. He's supposed to be yeah, he's supposed to be Palestinian and Polish. They they're clearly mm-hmm. writing him to be somewhere somewhere on the on the spectrum uh and i i don't want to say like autism but he's definitively supposed to be a neuroatypical in 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 a sense yeah he's definitely a neurodiverse character and honestly the way he's coded really does seem like autism more than anything else to me i will say in dan Harmon's defense and I might come to his defense a couple of times when we're recording this episode. Um, I think the Abed character is so much better conceptualized than, let's say, a uh, Max from Parenthood or a Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. He is at once neurodiverse, but also like a person. He's not written like a robot. And the the show doesn't 
use his um his um his neurodiversity as an excuse for him to be an asshole or have a superiority complex. Right. No. Yeah. And this is, and this is the, and this is where I think you and I will both always, and this is, I think what makes community unique is that something that could have really ended up bad. And I think it does take turns. It does sometimes turn into bad is really thoughtful about these characters. (laughs) It just is so thoughtful about these characters and these stories and making sure that nobody ends up any type of way, if that makes sense. Right, right. Like, Abed is very much human. He's not whatever type people think that someone with autism or Asperger's is supposed to behave like, which makes him interesting. And I think the fact that he's based on a real person is reflective of the character that is then written. Because Dan Harmon um, is not neurodiverse to anyone's knowledge. He's never said anything about that. But uh, the Abed character is based on a real friend of his named Abed. And I think if you're not part of a community, uh, pun intended, if you're not part of a community, it's very important to base your characters on real people and not assumptions and stereotypes. Right. Absolutely. Um, I agree with that. And and then so the last that we have is is uh, Troy, who is played by my my nemesis. <laughs> Cut that out. Uh, next we have we have Troy, played by Donald Glover. Um, who I would say Troy is probably the weakest of all the characters. Um agree hard agree <laughs> maybe not in this first season because Britta was definitely waving that flag but they got her together and they never got Troy together they never got Troy together and I don't know I don't know what the story is behind that I have theories I have thoughts I will expand on them later but I don't know why um and then uh and then last and certainly least um Pierce Yes. Pierce is Pierce was super interesting to me. I don't think he's the most interesting character on the show, but I think that his motivations for being at Greendale are certainly the most interesting. Right. <laughs> like, why are you here, sir? Go go get on your yacht or something. Right. Go be rich. But like Pierce's Pierce's um he's a boomer. I guess it would be cl- like that was the cl- proper classification for him. Mm-hmm. He, he's like a boomer and he's 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 older. He's he's a he's elderly. He's a senior citizen. Like officially, I'm sure he gets an AARP card in the mail. Which um, listen, my my auntie has AAR, AARP, and like they be doing things. Like and then uh, at least in these early and then in these early seasons, we have uh, John Oliver who plays uh, Jeff's uh, friend and, and enabler and a professor at, at at Greendale Community College. Which um, he is a former client of Jeff's. Jeffs, yes. Um yeah, and he's yeah. and then and then of course there's the dean who who will become more prominent in the later seasons. And the dean is there's a lot happening with the dean. <laughs> um yeah, the dean is wildly an appropriate person. And I love this in the sitcom space that we can discuss inappropriate faculty at school. Because <laughs> I feel like it's just too heavy a conversation for dramas, even though it is a, a, a very it's a necessary topic but the way that the show sets it up it never feels too heavy it never feels too forced and the character is a character that even though you know he's inappropriate is actually really fun to watch right i think 
my my biggest thing with the dean is that there always seems to be like a weird queer phobia around the dean as like at coming from the show that feels yes. strange um and, it does and the and the sort of like hypersexualization of queer like of a of a queer person doesn't feel right to me um in this context uh but see yeah. i didn't even get that they were hypersexualizing him i really felt like and this is very ironic on a show with such a diverse cast. I really, it really felt like they were othering his queerness constantly. They're othering it, and but they're also like, I guess they're playing up his his this his stuff for jokes because he's always he's always referencing to something like they're always whenever when the dean becomes more prominent, like in the second and third seasons, they're always. Um, like making they're always alluding that he's doing weird sex stuff which is weird like it's part of the joke every time yeah he comes yeah. in right again like i said that it's always other othering because they're very different people and we learn how different they are as the show progresses but it seems like that difference is where the show's writers draw the line right yeah yeah, yeah. Which oh my god. So. <laughs> oh my god. And I'm sorry. I cannot believe I left out my my favorite Shirley. Shirley. Then we have Shirley. Shirley. Shirley's our last character. Shirley, played by Yvette Nicole Brown, is such an interesting character. I had a lot of issues with Shirley. Um, not on initial rewatch, but on like recollection of the show because your memory is not like a tape recorder. I had to go back and watch the show. And after going back and watching the show, that's when I, I, I understood the point that Alex was trying to make, that the Shirley character was given a lot of freedom, a lot of liberty, a lot of... She wasn't pigeonholed in the way that Black characters in sitcoms traditionally are. And and I think specifically Black women in, in sitcoms yes. are. Um, Especially Black women of a certain age in sitcoms. Right, a certain age, a certain weight, right, mm-hmm. uh, and and certain look, um, and I she she wasn't, and I really appreciated that. Um, and Shirley also has a great Shirley's kind of also very clear from the beginning. She and she has like this great story, like and is a very nuanced character, like the rest of them except Troy. And so Shirley is back in community college after divorce, after being left by her husband of like over 15 years for an for a stripper and now she's like a single mom raising her two boys by herself having to now figure out what she's gonna do and that is where we we first meet her um she's at community college to i think she's at greendale to to get a business degree and, you know, see how she's going to get out here and make it happen for herself after sort of being frozen, I think, in a sense, in, in, in this marriage. Right. And surely is so many women, especially religious black women, um, who feel, who were told to, um, you know, save themselves for a man who was for the streets to act a certain way, to not act a certain way, only to be up the creek without a paddle for the, you know, and left for the exact type of woman they were told not to be. Right. 
Right. Like it's 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 really messed up. But I like the addition of a character like this because rarely when we talk about college do we see people who are not young adults who are not, you know, going out into the world in spoken of in those specific contexts. I believe the only other show that does this um with a character a little bit younger than Shirley is a different world with the Jalisa character who had started college after her divorce. And the Jalisa character was like in her mid-20s or already 30 years old. Most of these shows don't show you older people going back to school, which I think is another form of propaganda, honestly, to make people feel ashamed for wanting to continue their education or shift gears in their career. Right. Or that like somehow going back to school when you're older is some sort of like failure on you. Right. Like, why couldn't you figure it out when you were 18? Oh, like, you're so dumb. <laughs> what, and it's crazy. Cause we all know that like, but you don't have anything figured out when you're 18. <laughs> like honestly, an 18 year old and a 16 year old are the same maturity level as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> like nobody knows, like nobody has it figured out. Let's talk about some stuff that's sort of happening uh, throughout for our characters throughout this this first season. So in the pilot, the group is sort of unintentionally formed by Jeff, this group of characters that we just talked about. Uh, Jeff does not intend to, to actually form this Spanish class study group. He wants to have sex with Britta, and he talks about this group as like a sort of in- he describes his group um, as, like, a sort of in to get with her. And, you know, of course, his, like, sort of plans go awry and all of our characters that we just talked about show up. And by the end of the episode, by the end of the pilot, we have formed this true blue study group that now meets um, every, that, that now meets every day. And, and they all just start hanging out. By the way, their prof- their Spanish professor, uh, Chang, that's a uh, that's weird. That's so weird, and, and we'll talk about it. Um, Chang is played by Ken Jong, who is mm-hmm. essentially reprising his character from The Hangover. If you've seen The Hangover, they're um, like the same person. Uh, not reprising so much. This came out around the same time. I think he was just typecast as that sort of character over and over. He plays this character again in movies following, which is really, really weird. And I'm not trying to erase Asian, uh, the Asian Latinx community. I know you guys exist, but like Chang is not a good Spanish teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Chang is like not a good Spanish. He doesn't like the show alludes that like, he doesn't actually really know Spanish. He's just He's, sort of... It's very much Peggy Hill. <laughs> yes, it's giving hard Peggy Hill. <laughs> People who don't speak Spanish have no business teaching Spanish are out here teaching. Oh, Lord, I can't. So, um, so yeah, so our, our study group starts hanging out and, uh, and we start, you know, just having little... We start to have little... Um, close episodic adventures with them. The first, the thing that, one of the things that stands out to me uh, in this first, like a character arc that stands out to me in this first season and actually is sort of uh, what I talk about in terms of like the real poignancy of 
the show is actually in this, um, I think is in the first couple episodes, but it's the episode where Abed like makes, goes to film school class, goes to, goes to film class and then makes this really poignant, you know, student film about how he feels like he broke up his parents' marriage. Do you remember that episode? Yes. And that's heavy. Oh, it's such a heavy, it's so heavy. Yeah, and here's the thing. I feel like uh, with with Abed, and this another way that this character is just so well crafted. He could be v- the very cold, emotionless person, like a Sheldon, or someone who doesn't know how to articulate his emotions well with the people around him. So he's always acting out like a Max, but he isn't. He feels things very, very deeply, and he does know how to express them. He just doesn't express them in the traditional ways. For him, his art is that form of expression. Right, and I also like that. I think it's really interesting to me that the way that he does know how to express things is, like, I mean, I think a lot of us, and and it's what I think connects us to the character, particularly um, people who love film and TV, is that... Abed expresses himself through like referencing films. Like he understands that like this character has an emotion in this context and he is feeling the same thing or he is having the same problem. So he seeks that piece of media out to then commute to show that to, you know, the the study group, his friends to then elicit, to get the response that he's looking for back, which I think is really beautiful and poignant and says something really wonderful about film and television and and why we all care about this stuff. Right. And exactly. And the nature of this medium to really connect us all. Like nobody innately cares about characters on a TV show or a film or a book. We have to be made to care. Abed's film is a clearly his attempt to do that to make people care about a situation that they wouldn't otherwise care about. Like you can sit and tell people about your parents' divorce and how it made you feel, but like, it's not resonating. Even if they went through the exact same thing, they don't know your parents. (laughs) They're not invested in that marriage. Right. And so it's, it's a really, really great story. The way that the episode is even constructed, the story is so good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's written so well because it starts with, it starts with Abed and, and his father fighting or his father like dismissing him for something. And then Britta intervenes in, in a very white way. Yes. <laughs> like she will very... do a lot of things in a very white way. <laughs> <laughs> she intervenes in, in a white way in that, like in, in a definitely like white saviorism way of like, Oh, I know better than like your silly backwards culture. <laughs> and you're you're not quite sure and then his dad is like oh you think you can take care of my son like well do it pay for it like good luck and there are definitely times where I'm like where is this going <laughs> it's so dicey but then you come out to the end of it which is like I said it's it's Abed making this it's Abed sort of manipulating the situation to then end up with this film that is about his the the divorce of his parents' marriage and it is so beautiful and I and it's constructed so well and and it's like 
And I remember I watched this episode and I was like, yes, girl, I get it. I understand why the girls were in a chokehold, why they thought, like, I don't know, can we fire him? Can we not? Like, who's going to write this shit? <laughs> like, <laughs> Exactly, exactly, exactly. It's a really well, like, really poignant, really, really beautiful uh, episode. And the thing is, it's not a one-off. Community has several really poignant episodes throughout. Even some of the most hilarious ones are really, really poignant. This is one of the few shows where you can have a very moving episode that's not necessarily lacking in humor. Because I know some people think you have to be constantly offensive <laughs> to right. in order to be funny, but that's not, that's actually not a thing. That's lazy humor. So yeah, Abed, Abed's uh, uh, relationship with his parents, particularly his father, and his relationship with film are a highlight in season one. Another highlight is Jeff and his relationship, and I use that word loosely, with Britta. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a mess. So he wanted Britta from the very start, but again, sociopathic, highly narcissistic, it was never anything like he saw Britta and he was really interested in her or some type of love at first sight type of situation. Jeff very much sees Britta as being the antithesis of everything that he is. And you would think it would be easy for the show to write Shirley as that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's actually not. Like Britta is the antithesis of everything he is. And I think it's really, really clever to juxtapose how far Jeff has come being a cruel, uh, a calculating liar and manipulator, and how not so far Britta has come, you know, financially and socially being an activist and caring about things. <laughs> and it's so interesting that you bring that up in terms of like Jeff and Britta are the true antithesis of each other instead of Shirley, because um, in the first Halloween episode in the first season, you do have uh you have Shirley, you know, Annie's throwing this Halloween party and Shirley essentially goes on and Jeff is like dating some new woman after he's like rejected Britta in in a sense. And Shirley uses and Britta, you know, has like expressed that she's fine with it, but Shirley uses this slight against Britta to work out her own emotions. <laughs> Right, uh, like regarding that, her that's divorce. not you and your husband. That's not you and your husband. <laughs> <laughs> but and she very super interesting. Go ahead. No, it's like I, I was just saying. Yeah, she uses that this like Halloween party to to. She very selfishly is like no, but like this. Is, she makes it all about her. Like, and she uses this moment to work out all her issues. I mean, she keys this woman's car. She like trashes her office. You know, she fucks up her plant. And at the end of the episode, Britta is like, do you feel better? And she goes, I really, and, and Shirley has to be like, you know, I was using your issues with Jeff to to work out my own issues. And Britta's like, yeah, I, I kind of sense that. And she goes, I love the way that the Shirley char- character is portrayed in that episode in particular, because I think a lot of times uh, television wants the dialogue to be so smooth that they neglect very human traits, right? I think I I saw this more on TVD and the originals more than any other show in life. Like the reactions people have to their loved ones being killed on that show and then like being cool with the person who did it the next episode is highly unrealistic. <laughs> right. Um, but what I like about Community is it shows that like 
it takes time to heal from certain wounds. You're not with someone for 15 years and you're and get over it in a few months. You might not get over it in a couple of years. A lot of times when you're not offered closure, you project your emotions onto situations and people that have nothing to do with you, which is what Shirley did. This is a very realistic portrayal of how people deal with pain and betrayal and trauma. And I guess like a part of what I really love about this and I love that the Shirley character, I mean, did this is that I like that she had, she got the space to do it and she's treated compassionately about it, you know, when she does it. She wrecked this woman's car and wrecked this woman's office and she's treated with compassion. That is, that's an attitude that's reserved for white women on television. This is very true. And I had actually forgotten about this particular episode until, uh, you know, we had the conversation. We decided to talk about community and I was on the rewatch. And not only is this rarely, this grace rarely given to black women, I would, I would venture to say almost never, but it's also never, I've never, ever, ever, ever seen this grace afforded from a white woman. Yes, yes, yes. Yes! <laughs> like, when, when when are they really down for us like that? <laughs> like, like, never! And Britta, of all people, it's, it's super interesting because the type of black, the type of white woman that Britta represents is the type of, of, of white woman that a lot of times we go in on online because their activism is fake as hell. Right. It's a means of getting clout and attention for themselves. They're not really pro anything except advancing white women. And they would be the first, honestly, with the, the pitchforks ready when a black woman, quote unquote, falls out of line, especially considering that what Shirley did was done to another white woman. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yes! Sorry. Yes. I'm like, you see it. You see it. I'm like, you like, see the vision. I'm like, okay. Like, I, it had really, really slipped my mind. And I think when I first watched this show years ago, because I started watching Community, this show came out when I was, yeah, a week before I got married. So I was 24. I would not have been able to pick up what it was putting down back then or articulate why it was significant in such a way. I knew I was seeing something different, but I didn't know how <laughs> it was different right and and that's why i think at least by the time we get to these it's why i also i'm i think when i talked to you when we originally started having our private conversation about community i'm like no like these people are friends they're friends because like i don't know that you do that for someone i don't know that a person like britta does that for someone like shirley unless there's genuine feeling or and or she feels like a genuine feeling that this person that she values this person. I don't. And then even later, Jeff will go out on a limb for Shirley in a way that's uncharacteristic of white men in general and Jeff in particular. <laughs> right. Oh, what are you talking about? There's, there's. I are you talking about um getting Chang to sign the the papers or no? Yes. Yeah. They really come through for each other because here's the thing. I think I was stuck on the fact that Shirley is older than most of the other people in the group. And unlike them, her problems were not self-inflicted. I feel a lot of their situations um, and problems were self-inflicted or a, a consequence of making uh, 
uh, personal choices. Shirley went into a situation without all the information. Like, she didn't know that her husband was trash (laughs) going in. (laughs) She didn't do anything wrong to that man. And she got done dirty. And honestly, the way that people talk about divorce... I mean, I'm divorced, but I mean, the way people talk about divorce who were in marriages where they were mistreated or abused is in such a way that I feel like you have to live it to understand it. And I think the reason I didn't appreciate the Friendship Sound community was because people didn't really understand Shirley. But in rewatching the show, I understand that you don't have to understand a person's situation in order to extend them the empathy that they need in that moment. Sometimes they don't want you to understand (laughs) And that is another part of the show that I think is so, once again, I'm coming back to like, you know, the poignancy of the show. And I think the beauty of these characters and like, I think the real wonder of the storytelling, like it's moments like that, it's choices like that, that I I, I get why critics are still like, I get why critics stand the show still so much because I don't ever, I don't, I can't think, think of another property where like it's playing out like this or like this is how like this is how it plays out exactly exactly um and the thing is i will give community credit where credit is due i don't feel like there was a buffer person or a filler person if a filler person should exist it would be the troy character but the way the troy yeah. is incorporated into abed's life kind of gives him more dimension if that makes sense it's not yeah. like it's not it doesn't feel like he's in the group for no good reason but i do feel like that character could have been fleshed out better and the character had a lot of potential choice backstory is a good one he just never evolves past it right right yeah like he injured himself purposely because he didn't want to be fueled into the college sports and professional sports machine. He saw this as his last ditch effort to live his life on his own terms. So he intentionally injured himself, lost his scholarship and came to community college where he could essentially reinvent himself without the pressures of being a college athlete. Great premise, great backstory, but like, what did y'all do with that? (laughs) Right. But what did you do with it? What is it? What does it mean? So, Another highlight of season one is the first of these super incredible um, paintball episodes that will happen uh, each season. The show is uh, executive produced and a lot of episodes are directed by uh, the Russo brothers. Russo brothers are like their big claim to fame is like basically everything in Marvel. I do think it's significant because I think it's why we get these paintball episodes. And I think it's why we get all these like really fun, funny references to like all these action movies and um, uh, other IP throughout the, the series. Why there is this like nod to like Dead Poet Society and all these other things I think come uh, uh, from them because it feels reminiscent of some stuff that they've, they've talked about. Um, and thus the paintball episode is born. So the first uh, paintball episode in, in season one, it, it's very simple. It's like, there is going to be this game of paintball and, uh, at, at Greendale and last man standing wins the prize and Jeff thinks it's stupid. So he like, Jeff thinks everything is stupid. 
So he goes to in his car and goes to sleep. Uh, to to sleep. And when he wakes up after his nap in his car, he comes back in and the school is like in this complete disarray. And not only that, but then the tone of the whole episode changes. It's interesting. Like the frames get slightly darker. The <laughs> the dialogue uh, in in pace and tone changes. We see Abed and Troy and sort of like Troy is wearing um like football fit like you know the the stuff that you wear to like protect yourself in football. He's wearing like yeah. the the breastplate stuff of it, but then Abed's wearing like uh goggles like the '90s goggles on his head, and it feels very like steampunk and like you really realize you're you're like wait am I in like an action movie and like we are, <laughs> and it's so good. Right, right, right. I really feel like I really feel like uh, things like this, even though it's an episode based in humor, obviously they're playing paintball, are so necessary on a show like this, right? Because again, most of the the cast members are not kids who are fresh out of high school like Troy. Right. Like, so I think it's good to lend a sort of whimsy to them. That is usually just afforded to younger people, if that makes sense. Um, I think one of my favorite episodes this season actually was episode 12, Comparative Religion. Mm -hmm. This is the one where Shirley, who is, I don't know what religion she is, but she she gives me strong Baptist or Kojic energy. Yeah. She's planning a Christmas party, but Annie's Jewish, Abed is Muslim, Troy's a Jehovah's Witness, and they don't believe in like celebrating things or or exchanging gifts. So this is important, even though he is a Christian. Um, Britta is an atheist. Pierce thinks he's a Buddhist, but he's in a cult. And Jeff (laughs) is agnostic. And the way that they handle this is really, really interesting to me. Now, I'm a very firm believer that she, that it's hard to maintain close friendships with people whose political views are in direct opposition to your humanity. And I stand by that. The thing about religion is most religions do not, uh, do not promote hatred. So it really is what you make of it. Like, how you practice your belief will be a reflection of who you are as a person, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I believe that. Yeah. And so because of that, the, their friendship does survive the holiday season. <laughs> right. Uh, this season wraps up with, uh, what is it, Jeff and Annie being uh, kind of booed up a little bit. It's nothing official, but they share their first kiss in the season finale and it's very clear that the show is setting us up for Annie and Jeff being endgame. Right, which they event they pivot away from and I think it there they it was a good choice. I agree. I firm agree. But yeah, that's the direction they were heading in season one. Um what do you think of season one? Good, bad or basic? Season one is good. It's good. I don't know. I hate it, but like it is. It is what it is. It's it's good. It's it's clearly like, I mean, like all shows, it's finding its footing, but it's doing something really special in all these episodes. Like I said, episode three, like, like comparative religion, the paintball episode, uh, romantic expressionism, there's some really good stuff coming through. 
Right. Oh, episode four, social psychology. This is where the show is very much trying to establish a close friendship between Jeff and Shirley. And that's where it begins. That was a really great episode as well. Um, the episode seven, introduction to statistics, where Annie hosts a day of the dead party for Halloween. Completely inappropriate. They're two right. different holidays. You're not Mexican. But <laughs> again, the hilarity of the situation is great because I think one of the, sh- the things the show does is that it laughs at people getting out of hand and out of pocket and swerving out of their lane. <laughs> it does this right. often with Annie and Britta. Um, but yeah, I thought season one was really, really great. Um, I understand why the show was renewed. It really deserved. Um, and honestly, it's hard. I, I firmly believe that it's harder to do comedy than to do drama. I think getting comedic timing is incredibly difficult. I think working in it with an ensemble cast, especially people that you didn't work with prior, is incredibly hard. Um, I think getting something that sounds funny on paper to look and sound funny to an audience is incredibly hard. Right. Same. I I mean, I agree. It, and I think when you're trying to marry comedy, like situational comedy, and then have the jokes land and then like you said juggle an ensemble cast and make sure that you're not that you're focusing on all the characters versus just which community does versus maybe just favoring one or two um Mm -hmm. is an incredibly difficult thing to do and then you want to give us like touching moments and like morals (laughs) right (laughs) that is hard (laughs) that is very hard so I thought season one did what it had to do. It really did. Um, so let's go into season two. Season two picks up the next semester. Right. Because um, so, all of season one was only one semester long, which I thought was a really great way to do it, to pace it out in semesters rather than years so that you could stretch the show as long as you need to. Yeah, I agree. Same. Um And then this semester, so yeah, it picks up in a new semester and we're coming fresh off of the Jeff and Annie kiss, which is a secret because the Britta had declared her love publicly for Jeff at the end of the season and gotten shot down. Um, Ladies, don't ever declare your love for a man. Like even on the wedding day, try to mumble your way through it if you can. (laughs) um but i mean britta britta honestly played herself because she saw what he was about in season one and i like this because it shows that even like the smart girl the cosmopolitan girl because she's traveled the world backpacking the the learned girl can still fall under the spells of an ancient man like no one's immune (laughs) no one is immune no one um and in fact, this this season two episode opens up with this, like the camera with, I think, something that's, I, it's really great that I love. And it's the camera panning between each group member's bedroom. And mm. we see them all just getting up uh, to go f- uh, for the first day of school. And And we've talked on this before about how when you see a character's bedroom, that's a very important thing on a TV show. Yeah. It's It's very intimate. It's saying a lot. It's proof that they exist when the protagonist isn't looking at them. (laughs) Right, right. And the fact that each and every single person gets like a quick pan into their bedroom, I think is really important. And I think speaks to 
the like the the motivation or of the show of that like this is an ensemble cast and no any and no one important is no one person no one character is more important than the other so and so i i remember really feeling like that was really significant to me and the the red rooms are such a reflector reflection of their personalities which it's the little details that really really matter Right? Because, like, when they pan to Annie's, like, Annie has this, like, really beautiful decorated room, but, like, outside is, like, a a dumpster, like, a trash bin. So it's, like, you know, so you can, so you know that, like, she lives in, like, a bad part of town or something. uh, Or, like, she just doesn't live in the best place. Um, But, yeah, this season, everyone's getting back together. Britta's trying to figure out how she's going to deal with uh, the fallout of the humiliation of declaring her love for Jeff, but uh, actually she she has gained something that she's been searching for for a very long time, and that's popularity <laughs> in the course of the of the season two opener. Um, all the girls at Greendale are like really impressed with her that she you know declared her love for Jeff, and she's given a lot of uh, attention and sympathy because. You know, she put herself out there and then was slapped down. <laughs> yeah, she was down bad. I feel I feel bad for her. Um, it does take a lot of bravery to do what Britta did, but uh, don't do it. You know, all these men bravery. Yeah, don't don't do that. <laughs> don't oh. do that. I mean, they're not even being brave. Men used to be out here, you know, signing up and going to die in somebody's war, and they're not even doing that anymore. Um, <laughs> No, but all jokes aside, uh, it's very clear from the end of season one, beginning of season two, that they're going to keep the comedy, they're going to keep the humor, but they're going to dig, like, really sink their claws into these interpersonal relationships between the characters. And I'm here for it. Right. Um, Also, like you said, so you, like you said, season, end of season one was trying to set up like an Annie and Jeff thing. And season two, in the in this beginning episode of season two, it, it quickly gets shut down. Thank God. Um, in fact, Jeff is like, you know, Jeff has like, Annie's very, you know, she's Annie and she's very smitten and she's very, you know, puppy dog ready to sort of be his girlfriend. And he's like, I am way too old for you. And you know what? You knew that when you were kissing her, but also shout out to him for not letting it go any further because they're both legal adults. And the thing is, I've seen so many shows, so many movies, even by supposedly woke, uh, culturally aware people, even self-proclaimed feminists do this thing where they pretend like age gaps don't put a woman at an inherent disadvantage. Right. And I, and I was going to say, I really like the show for that. I like that the show recognizes that Annie, first of all, Annie is literally 18. Um, Jeff is in his thirties. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I honestly don't remember how old Annie is. I, cause she flunked out of the college. She had to get clean. So she's maximum 21. I think she's between 18 and 20, 20. but he is, he is like in his late thirties. Yeah, he's like 38 or 39 when the show opens, I believe. Yeah, so like Jeff is almost 40. Like he I I like that the show put the onus on Jeff and that Jeff took ownership of it to be like 
there's an uneven power dynamic here. Like, <laughs> and which is to his credit, right? Because he's a he's an adult man. He's clearly attracted to her. She's of legal age. He's a lawyer. He could use all of these things to try to justify being with her <laughs> if he wanted to. Right. And the show and the show um, has already established that Jeff, like in his old life and Jeff still like is that like he knows how to to rationalize things. Right. He knows how to bullshit his way into making a wrong thing seem right. Mm hmm. So the yes. so the so the fact that he's honest and takes ownership and is like, listen, you're all puppy dog and wide eyed and like I could manipulate you right now and I could groom you into doing exactly what I want. But like that's wrong and you need to l- grow up a little like I I commend the show for that. Especially listen, the show was created by a man. The most of the people with writers credits are also men. And I honestly feel like we need more messages like this coming from men. A woman can tell a young girl, you know, the the you warn her about age gap relationships until we're like blue in the face, right? right? But when a man is saying it and he's telling you like, listen, this is how men think. This is how the situation is. And this, not being with this person is what's best for you. It just resonates differently. And I appreciate the show for going there. Um, and Alison Brie in particular... The actress and the uh, Annie character are literally the epitome of wide-eyed <laughs> and naive. <laughs> like, I don't right. know if Allison's naive, but, like, she and that character are the epitome of wide-eyed. Right, right. De- definitely, definitely. So, um, some other highlights of season two are... Um, so, this season at the at the Halloween party, uh, Jet, like, Shirley is you know, feeling, I guess Shirley's divorce is finalized, gets finalized, and she's feeling very down and out about it, so she sleeps with Chang, which will become significant later. She gets she gets drunk and sleeps with Chang in, in the bathroom, and later in the season, when she gets back together with, with Andre, um, which is her ex-husband, which she has gotten back with him against the advice of everybody in the group, particularly. But, pro, but, 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 this is significant. Pro the advice of everyone in her church. Right, right. <laughs> Here's the thing. The show makes it very clear through all of Shirley's actions, the way she feels about Andre, the nuances that were leaked about the relationship, that before her drunken encounter with Chang, Andre was the only man she'd ever been sexual with. Right. And that matters. That's very, that's very serious. Um, I think the show alludes to that she got with Andre too when she was very young. Shirley finds out that she's pregnant again and um, that the baby might be Chang's or, or Andre's. She's not sure. Listen, you don't leave your wife and then and 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 then pick her back up like like she's an object that you know that needs to be dusted off like she's a person her life continued without you right and shout out to the show cuz like they uh Andre is played by Malcolm Jamal Warner so like you know it's Malcolm Jamal Warner like we love him mm-hmm. they found literally the most likable like attractive man to come be Andre so that we can like <laughs> 
<laughs> tamp yeah. down all of our negative feelings. So we hate Andre. We hate Andre, but Malcolm Jamal Warner was a lot of and a lot of people's, and by a lot of people, I mean my uh, first crush, Circa Theo, on The Cosby Show. I can see how a woman, especially a religious one, could get played by a man like this. I could see it. I could see it. I could see my sisters as literally on the gateway to hell, tailing after a man like this. <laughs> not the gateway to hell. After they show, throw this baby shower, and, and Chang, who is not a stable person, and... Also, once um, Chang's wife find, finds out, Chang is, like, kicked out of his house by his wife. Yeah, I swear I didn't know that Chang was married. And I don't think Shirley did either. <laughs> She's not an adulteress. <laughs> She's not. She's not an adulteress. And um, Chang's wife kick, kicks him out. And so Shirley is very nervous especially since now she's back with Andre and they've made up and all the things. Shirley's very nervous that if the baby turns out to be Chang's, that he's going to, um, he's going to sue for, uh, parent, like his, like his parental rights. So she dispatches Jeff to, uh, convince Chang to, to terminate his parental rights. And, uh, the episode is called Custody Law in Eastern European Diplomacy, and uh, it's a doozy. <laughs> it is a doozy because he doesn't so much talk Chang into it as manipulate him into thinking it's something else entirely. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, it gets done, and sometimes you need a friend in low places. <laughs> <laughs> You need a friend with no moral compass. Right. And I'm not even saying what Shirley did was right. I'm saying that she did something wrong. Chang did something wrong. Andre did something wrong. There are no clear uh, victims here. (laughs) (laughs) And and I think it's, and I find it interesting. And it's just one of the episodes I find interesting. Because like you said, it's, it's an episode where Jeff really goes out of his way for Shirley. Uh, and one of those things that I think helps cement their friendship, which is a very unlikely one. Right, right. I think it's, honestly, it's not even about how much time you spend with people, but like doing things like this, not necessarily like this, because this is a lot, but showing up for them when they need you to show up for them, that's what friendship is. And as much as Shirley cares about her church community, none of those people really have her best interests at heart or really are giving her advice with her safety and her peace of mind in mind. So another another highlight of the of I think season two is the the season two Christmas episode, which is great by the way. It happens all in like the sort of um, old school Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer and the Island of Misfit Toys claymation. Right. It's really sweet. It's really sweet, but it's another really poignant Abed episode. You were t- we you spoke earlier about Abed's a real person with real feelings, real emotions, and um, the this Christmas episode I think is another sort of great character study of the character, but also I think reinforcing that idea because the whole thing is is that he's imagining that everything around him is in, is in claymation, and we see the episode from Abed's perspective. 
by the end of the episode, we figure out he's essentially having an emotional breakdown because he is alone for the first time for Christmas. His mother, his remar- has since remarried mm-hmm. and had another child. And she sends him a letter saying that she's not coming to see him for Christmas and that she's going to be with her new family and doesn't extend an invitation to him to come be with her. And it's and he's essentially having having a real breakdown over it. Right. And this is significant because, yes, Abed is a Muslim, but he his he was co-parented by a Christian woman. And um, he lives with a father that he doesn't always get along with. And her letter to Abed is essentially a very formal abandonment. (laughs) Right. Very formal. (laughs) Like, it's not like she just ghosted where then you could maybe tell yourself she might have forgot she was busy. She puts it in plain writing with her own hand that she's choosing her other, her new family, uh, her new situation. And as someone whose father went on to be father of the year to his uh, next set of kids and like left the starter kids in the dust, that episode hit hard (laughs) Mm. i've never Mm. had the relationship with my father that abed had with his mother like we have no relationship so comparatively i'm sure whatever he's going through was much 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 worse but parental abandonment hits different when that person is raising other kids (laughs) right it's like oh like i don't count (laughs) like (laughs) <laughs> it's not like you were shitty to everybody you you decided to pick and choose who you were going to abdicate your responsibilities to <laughs> right and it is it's uh it's a it's rough um i mean people always say that like christmas is melancholy anyway but like this is really melancholy like, this is really like sad christmas vibes um so the the season so season two ends with two uh paintball episodes first paintball episode is like a genre send up to like westerns um and western like action westerns and it's great it's wonderful and we get like the full treatment and then the second paintball episode is uh an homage and a send up to star wars the gang wins uh a hundred thousand dollars to essentially clean up the the mess that that the paintball game left and therefore Greendale Community College is saved in the end and that is how we we end season 4 i mean not season 4 season 2 uh, yeah we're not even close yet um to to the final season i thought this season was really really good as well um i thought it was very good what are your thoughts good bad or basic same good do you have any particular favorite episodes and I would probably say uh, Messianic Myths, an ancient people's episode um, where uh, Shirley gets inspired to create a film. Uh, those are my favorites from season two. What about you? Um, I was going to say, yeah, uh, also definitely some of the ones you mentioned, particularly Messianic uh, Myths and Ancient Peoples um, is a great episode, which I, it's it's a Shirley Abed focused episode, which is really great. Uh, I like the psychology of letting go, which kind of pokes uh, fun at the um, it kind of pokes fun at just like feminist ideology uh, and how feminists kind of conduct themselves sometimes um, in a really 
good way, though. Um, it's like Annie and Britta are, like, raising money to, like, save the oceans. And it's like, well, you're... And Britta kind of dips on it, like, goes in on Annie because she's like, you're just bouncing your boobs up in the air or whatever. And it's just good. It's really good. Um, I like uh, intermediate documentary filmmaking. That's a Pierce episode. Uh, and then Paradigms of Human Memory. Paradigms of Human Memory is the first, like, clip episode. Yeah. Uh, and it's a really, it's actually a really clever, it's really clever idea for for the construction of an episode for a show like this. Um, because the whole episode is just them sort of recounting moments that they've been spending time together. And it's fascinating how just a few, just a episode full of moments uh, really deepens these characters' relationships with each other. Also, I love Critical Film Studies. That's another Abed episode that's really great. Uh, it's Abed trying to fix his and Jeff's friendship, uh, and I really love it. And that's, yeah, season two. Season two was excellent. So season three is significantly shorter. Um, so it went from 25 episodes to 24 episodes to 22. Um, this will be our last long season, though, 22 episodes. Every season after this is only 13 episodes long. I don't know why that choice was made, but I'm glad it was made, um, honestly, because I felt like um, it made the writing sharper. We'll talk more about that in season four. But season three, um, the group is in a biology class together. I believe that's the only class that they ha all have together. Yeah, taught by Michael K. Williams. <laughs> there is a new vice dean who is at loggerheads with our current dean. John Goodman plays the vice dean, which I thought was interesting. He's a good oh, one. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He, he runs the, uh, he's a vice dean and he runs the air conditioning and repair school, which becomes its own little subplot in the community. I will say that um, season three is the last season that Dan Harmon is show running community but season three is uh de definitively like the most nonsensical season but um we kick off season three like you said with this vice dean in the air conditioning repair school and the people at the air uh john goodman at the air conditioning repair school they really want um troy to join uh the air conditioning repair school because John Goodman thinks that he is the one true repairman. It's giving me, it's giving very Lord of the Rings, but. Yeah. <laughs> right? It is. It's very Lord of the Rings. It's very Game of Thrones. Um, it's very, it's very, yeah, it's all that energy, but with air conditioning. Um, and it's great. Like the set is like this really industrial set. It, it all looks like they like live in the basements of Greendale. It's, it's so funny. It's a very Troy focused season. That's why it was all over the place. Honestly, Troy's not a character you want to focus on. <laughs> and you know what? I think season three is like the most absurd season. Like, great. and I think that, that the focus on Troy, um, because that's really all that Troy has going for him at this point is like his absurdity. And like you said, so by now in season three, they've tr they've kind of like paired together the Troy and Abed characters. They almost focus, they almost function as one unit. 
which I don't like. I okay. don't like I don't like those sort of um absorbative uh I don't know where you end and I begin friendships or relationships ever but particularly with Troy and Abed because Abed is a well-developed character and Troy is an underdeveloped character right right um and I think I think that's fair I and I think you're right and I think that's fair I also think that it worked for what it was supposed to do Mm. What about it worked for you? I'm curious now. Uh, I think the 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 fact that they just get into antics, like their thing, their thing now is just antics. They are like the antic um, people of the group. They 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 start all the weird little antics. It worked. Mm-hmm. I mean, not from. I do think it's like a failing of like the complexity of the show previously. Mm-hmm. Right, because mm-hmm. we did. We've talked about that in that, like, the show is so complex and it's really working with these really great dynamics. Um, I think I, 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 I get that they just married them together because it's like we're just gonna do something. You know, we don't we don't know what to do, so this is what we're gonna do. Hmm. Yeah, but uh, that's what exactly my problem with it. It's giving very much, I don't know what to do, instead of, let's fix Troy. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. And, no, and you're right. I I will say that you're right. Because then when they have the, um, and I feel like they, they try, because when we get to, like, contemporary impressionists, and the whole thing of it is that Abed is spending so much money on these celebrity impressions that he's in debt to these people. Mm. And unless they work this party, then like Abed's essentially like going to get his legs broken. Like, it's weird to me that Troy has to like explain. Cause then like at the end of the episode, Troy is like, Abed, you need to like listen to the things that I say. Like, you need to hear me when I tell you that you can't do something. That feels strange to me. Because, like, Abed's not dumb. Right. He's not dumb. And his character, okay, granted, is sheltered in some respects. I will say, use that word very loosely. But he has a capacity for understanding. And he might not always understand people's motivations, but he understands the consequences of what they do. (laughs) Right. So that was very weird. It felt weird. Uh, I felt like they were infantilizing the character in order to give the Troy character something to do. The point is that Troy is really the one that's in, like infantile. Right, and he has been portrayed as such from the very beginning. I think the the theme was supposed to be dumb, lovable jock. Um, and unfortunately, that's how that often translates. Um, It's giving very much like the characters regressing, which is significant on a show like Community, where everyone else is evolving in some way. Right. Everyone's really growing. Everyone's changing. And Troy is just sort of stuck. So then we come to like digital exploration of interior design, as well as like pillow and blankets, where the Troy character is, is, um, where... John Goodman, the John Goodman character, 
the vice dean, implants these ideas in Troy's head about how Abed's not really his friend. Or, like, why do you always have to do, like, what Abed says you guys are going to do? Like, Troy, don't you think for yourself? Mm. Um, And it feels... Like, I get it. It's an attempt by the show to differentiate these two characters that they've sort of put together. Mm. But it doesn't quite land. It doesn't. And one of the reasons it doesn't quite land is because Troy... Like, Abed never has to coerce Troy into doing anything. They He always agrees with whatever Abed suggests because Abed always suggests things he likes. Right. Like, not everybody's relationship is fraught with tension or disagreement or just the existence of two very different personality types with very different set of interests and hobbies. They don't really have that problem. So, yeah, that happened. Season three was chaotic. I don't think it was chaotic good. It was chaotic neutral at best. Yes, it was chaotic neutral. That's true. That's true. And because the... Yeah, and it ends with, like, they get kicked out of Greendale and Chang, like, takes over the school. And then they have to... Because the Chang, like, kidnaps the dean and holds him hostage because Chang wants to run the school or something... And then they have to find the Dean, release him, and then make sure that, like, Greendale doesn't, like, get uh, taken under. And this ends with, like, Troy um, agreeing to the air conditioning and repair school in order to, like, save Greendale and and save the Dean. Um, Oh, uh, random, random aside, we forgot to mention that Andre proposes to Shirley again. And there's, yes. like, a wedding planning situation. There's a wedding planning situation. And it all comes to a head because Shirley has not... Shirley's still getting her business degree. And not only that, she's launched... She's already started launching and pitching her idea for her business, which is Shirley Sandwiches. And Andre gets angry at her because he assumes that she would have just, like, quit all this when when he decided to get back with her essentially he proposed to her in order to kill her dreams and derail her life yet again. (laughs) Right. And they have to hate it. (laughs) We hate it. And she, but to Shirley's credit, like this time, and, and I think it shows a lot of growth in her that she stands firm. She's like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm going to do this. Like, this is what I got to do. Like I came here to do this thing and this is what I'm doing. He even went so far as to try to belittle her sandwiches. Like he wasn't, sitting on his ass eating those sandwiches every single day they were married. Like, it's, it's, re- it's really sending me, it's really sending me, like, he really tried to convince us that a woman as churched up as Shirley couldn't cook. <laughs> right? Please Particularly stop. when, like, it's when Shirley feels so Southern Baptist. Yeah, exactly. I've never met a Southern Baptist woman who couldn't cook. Some cook better than others. <laughs> But it all tastes the same to white people. So what's the problem? Right. What's the problem? What are we what are we talking about here? Um, But yeah, I think season three for me is very like. I think in comparison to like season two, season two is probably the show's best season. Actually, I take that back. It's still a tie between season one and two for me, which is significant because I rarely choose the first season as my favorite. No, right. Right. So, so season three to me is like a, it's like a basic plus. 
Um, yeah, I'm going to give you that same basic plus. Um, honestly, I think the Shirley and Andre uh, part was actually quite good. It's the Troy and Abed that keep it from being like a good or a good minus for me. I just thought it was uh, unnecessary. Um, yeah, it was just unnecessary. It was chaotic. There was no real purpose or depth to that narrative for me. Any favorite episodes from season three? Ooh, let's talk about it. Okay, season three favorite episodes. I'm going to say Studies in Modern Movement. Mm. Um, this is when they try, they help Annie move in with Troy and Abed. Because remember, she, you, we just talked about how she was living. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, episode 11, Urban Matrimony and the Sandwich Arts. This is the one where Andre proposes to Shirley and tries to get her to uh, put the brakes on her her sandwich business. Um, so you can leave her for another stripper. Ugh. Hate him. <laughs> um, uh, number 16, a virtual systems analysis, which when the final exam is pro- is postponed. 19, curriculum unavailable. 20, digital estate planning. Um, and 21, the first Chang dynasty. Oh, those are all really good ones and definitely make my list as well. Um, I really love remedial chaos theory. This is the six different timelines episode. Um I like episode five, Horror Fiction and Seven Spooky Steps. That's that's the Halloween episode. I really love regional holiday music, which is the Christmas episode, but it's also like a musical, but it's also the show just disingly for like a whole episode. But I was here for it. It needed to be done. We are not all called, (laughs) but he was. Like, um, and like you guys, it's, it's a really serious diss to Glee because, like, they even use like the Glee music. <laughs> they use like Which the same is the now what I call music music. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, like they you you know how like Glee has that bum 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 score. Like they use that. <laughs> They're like, oh, I hope I make it to regional. <laughs> they are like. They're going in on Glee. They're like, you know what? Like, I want that smoke. I want that energy. <laughs> Dan Harmon was really trying to like... I feel like Dan Harmon was really like, I, I hope I meet Ryan Murphy in these streets. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. And, I mean, I feel like Dan could take Ryan. I'm not going to lie to you. I do. I think that would be a, an interesting matchup. Um, if everybody bought their crew, I think that <laughs> Ryan's click is bigger than Dan's. <laughs> That, but, see, that's the thing. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But um, I know we listed a lot of episodes there. I'm not saying there weren't good episodes in season uh, three. I'm saying that whatever it was trying to do cohesively, it didn't do. And again, right. this was Dan Harmon's last season. Um, well, it's not his last season, actually. He wasn't here for season four, but he returned for season five. So he actually calls season four the gas leak year. Season four, this is a season without Dan Harmon. And quiet as it's kept, it shows. Yeah. I mean, as chaotic as season three was, I think this was his well-intentioned attempt to bring more levity or... um also more obstacles to our characters' lives. And in some cases, Britta, Shirley, Pierce, it succeeded, I believe. To me, the only episode that gets close to really, I think, nailing, I think, Dan Harmon's tone and like the, or at least what we had sort of seen like in the first three seasons is um, 
comparative escapism in familial relations, which is mm-hmm. a Thanksgiving. Yeah, which is the Thanksgiving episode where Jeff goes and spends Thanksgiving with his dad, who uh, Jeff's dad is like was is like a deadbeat and abandoned him, and he like never knew not yeah is a deadbeat and abandoned him after he had been like raising him, and Jeff's dad also like you know left and had a whole nother other family, and so he's trying to. I guess fix himself and he's I guess he's trying to see what his dad is all about and in, mm-hmm. and that's the only one that felt like um had that real poignancy and I think love or like in beauty in in the in particular like in the ending of it um that for me is like is missing throughout season four isn't that also the episode where Abed has Thanksgiving with Shirley's family? Yes. That was also well well played. Yes, yes. Because it's like Shirley... The whole thing of it is that, like, Shirley's family... Um, Shirley doesn't like... Shirley's having... Throwing Thanksgiving for her and Andre's family. And she doesn't like them. And not only does she not like them, they're very mean to her. She suffers... Um, from all their snide remarks. So she invited, she, so she invites Abed and Troy and Annie essentially to be like emotional support uh, throughout the holiday. And the way um, Shirley suffers at the hands of Andre is it is the fact that women actually go through this is wild to me, but they do. They go suffer with a man's family. The man has the audacity to then hurt that woman intentionally himself. Right. Right. Um, And so the Thanksgiving episode is very good. But other than that, I think season four relies on um, just other sort of hallmarks of the show to sort of stay uh, close in its tone. So it's really leaning heavily on like um, the Inspector Space Time stuff, which is like a a shout out to like Doctor Who. as well as, um, you know, there's like a Law and Order episode, uh, and but it doesn't. And there's like a puppet episode, but there is there is something in it that doesn't feel too like you notice if you're. I think if you're paying like super close attention, it kind of feels like I'm gonna use a comic book analogy, but like. When you switch illustrators in a comic book, mm. and the new illustrator is using the old illustrator style, but they can't exactly nail it. Right. No, that's a good. That's a good. That's a good um analogy, because it does. It does feel like that. It. They're like they're trying really hard, but like it. it they're not nailing it. Um. And, and listen, I will say that like season four definitely has like more cohesion i think it's way less chaotic than season three um and there are good episodes there are episodes in it that i like uh i like particularly like the the sadie hawkins dance episode is good to me but um but there's something missing 
yeah, there is something missing there. I mean, Dan Harmon is a secret sauce. Like even if someone does something exactly the way that you do, they can't give it your energy. They can't give it your focus. They can't infuse it with your experiences um, or your character. Like it's just something about it rings, not exactly hollow, but it was giving me, it was giving me great value. No. Yeah. It gives great value. And I think a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of even making it feel like the same show, I think is a credit to like the actors. Cause there are definitely parts of it where it feels like these actors just really understand who these characters are so they mm-hmm. can compensate for what the right. writing is not quite nailing. And it has to be noted. It's not just Dan that's gone. There are a lot new people. Uh, there are some new people in the in who are uh, credited as writers on these episodes that weren't uh, writing on episodes prior to this. And there are new directors that hadn't directed before. Uh, Joe Russo, who had directed a number of episodes in the first three seasons, um, didn't have a hand in a single episode this season. I was about to say, yeah, the Russo brothers are gone this season, which is I, I also think is significant. Because, like, yeah, like you said, like, even the, it's not shot the same either. So the right. look of the series has changed slightly. And it's it's just all these little details. It's all the little things. Right, right. But do we have standout episodes from season four? Do you have favorites? You know, I do, actually. Uh, I like um, Conventions of Space and Time. Mm. Uh, which is basically, uh, which... Uh, Abed and Troy are, are broken up <laughs> momentarily in their friendship. Their, their friendship is tested. It's kind of queer baity. I feel like there's that's in there, and I think that's a, a fair criticism of it. But it's cute. Um, like I said, comparative escapism in, in familial relationships, in familial relations, which is the Thanksgiving episode. I think it's very well done and very good. Um, her story of dance is good to me. That's where uh, Britta throws the... she She's against, like, the Sadie Hawkins dance. So she's going to throw the Sophie um, Hawkins, I think, or Sophie... Sophie B. Hawkins, the singer. Oh, yeah, the Sophie B. Hawkins <laughs> <laughs> dance. Uh, because and, uh, she... No, but not because she loves Sophie B. Hawkins, but because she thought she was confusing Sophie B. Hawkins for Susan B. Anthony. (laughs) Which is really funny to me. Um, That's also the episode where like uh, Brie Larson is in that episode um, and will become like sort of. And I think she was fresh off Scott Pilgrim at this time. (laughs) Right. Right. I was like, what is Brie Larson doing in this? But she, uh, she'll become like a recurring character. Um, into knots, which is which is the Christmas episode with Terrence Stamp, uh, is really tense and and funny uh, because they like essentially they there's like it's like teaching Mrs. Tingle. That's what I think the inspiration. It's very is. much that, and that's why I like that episode so much because I don't care what anybody has to say about that movie. That was Helen Mirren's best performance. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Fuck care. I don't queen. care. Have you I will seen watch that. Mrs. Tingle? Listen, it's it's the best performance, and I will watch that movie whenever it comes on. I don't care. It was also Barry Watson's best performance, and everybody knows that. Like that, that's not debatable. 
<laughs> yeah, into knots, as I say. I was like, oh, it's teaching Mrs. Tingle. That's that's funny. Um, and then uh, uh, introduction into advanced intro- introduction to finality, which is the the paintball episode, is cool. So very cool and listen I, I like the tradition of keeping the paintball seasons going every year it's kind of for me it's the one thing that ties us back to um the sort of wonder and the newness of community college that we had from season one because these people have grown a lot they've been through a lot at this point right right absolutely right um, so season four good better base basic I'm going to give this the same grade as season three. I don't think it was as well shot or well written as season three, but because season three was so chaotic, I feel like they're pretty even keeled. Right. Same. I'm going to give it a basic plus. Um, did you already say your favorite episodes? Uh, no, I didn't say mine. Um, right. Let me get to mine. I liked the, uh, um, the, the Thanksgiving episode. Um, Number six, advanced documentary filmmaking. This is when uh, Abed's trying to get like, or the school's trying to get a grant and Abed's uh, um, trying to make a new film. Her story of dance, I feel, is hands down the funniest episode of that season. Um, Basic human anatomy. Um, uh, Annie and Shirley are in a valedictorian race. Um, Yeah, that's about it um, for me for season four. I think one of the bigger issues at season four that makes it slightly worse than season three is that it simply doesn't move you the way that it needs to. Same. Yeah. There's no emotional, like, yeah, I think that's it. It just doesn't move me. I'm not like emotionally, everything just seems to be like happening. Um, so season five is, I guess the return of Dan Harmon and, in a really so like I know part of the thing with like Dan Harmon was like he would turn an episode super late and he couldn't like do things on time and the network kind of like hated him and not only did the network hate him also and this all has a point Dan Harmon and Chevy Chase also had like a really deep issues with each other like they really hated each other so um, but Chevy was racist so we're on Dan's side on that one <laughs> Right. I'm like, I'm not saying there are no, there are no heroes in this story because Chevy Chase was a racist. And then, but like, I, I don't know. I would not also like bring Chevy. I would not invite Chevy Chase to like a cast party where he's bringing his wife and his children and then sing a song to him called fuck you Chevy Chase. (laughs) That feels really aggro. That's so uncalled for. That feels really aggro. Like, if I just didn't like you, I would just be like, I don't like you. <laughs> I don't want to be around you. <laughs> I would just say that to you, and I would move on with my life. Um, but in a really petty show of of display, it season, the opening episode is called Repilot. Very petty. He's like, season four never happened. Take that right out of your consciousness. It's time to reset. <laughs> <laughs> reset. Renew. Let's go. Um, and, uh, we, we open with, uh, Jeff had, had graduated essentially last season and we open with Jeff post Greendale and Jeff had, has changed so much over the course of the seasons that he knew that he couldn't go back to his old job. 
at the law firm he used to work at being being a defense attorney because it's just it just wasn't who he was anymore. And so he opened his own law firm and we find out that he he failed. <laughs> he failed um having his own law firm. It did not go. It it flopped. Lawyers um, and I have a certain bite and he wasn't biting anymore. <laughs> he wasn't biting anymore. And you know what? I actually really like that. Mm-hmm. I Me love too. that choice. Like, tell me uh, your character has actually changed. Because it's very easy to become a new person in a new environment. It's hard to remain that new person when you go back to your old, familiar territory. Right. And I like the idea that, like, sometimes you you grow out of the thing that you used to do. Like, you've evolved. Yeah, he has. He definitely had, like, a delayed or an arrested development in an emotional sense. He was very emotionally stunted. And he had to come to the school to actually, like, become a tolerable human being. Right. And I, and I like the idea that um, sometimes, like, you, you know, because like you said, Jeff, you know, the narcissist, season one Jeff, narcissist Jeff, uh, could be a defense attorney and but season four Jeff who made these friends and cares about these people and and has gone through what he's gone through can't really do what he did before he can't do that to people with a clear conscience anymore right so he's back at, at Greendale uh, basically making a career pivot yeah making a career pivot because Greendale is like in trouble of being shut down and Jeff comes back and sees that the gang is there and they need help to save Greendale. And against what his head is telling him to do, his heart becomes invested in this. And, and they all rejoin forces to, to save Greendale. Also, something significant that happens is like, uh, like we said, Chevy Chase left the show. But in season five, like, um, he's, di- he's, it. he's dead. He dies. That and is so... I mean, I just feel like that's a very intense way to get rid of a character. Yeah, when you know all the beef, it's like, well, that feels not nice. <laughs> um, but Pierce has died. Uh, also, we're saying goodbye to Donald Glover this season. Donald Glover leaves. Um, and that's uh, in that, and he leaves in that episode, geothermal escapism. But I wasn't sad to see Troy go, even though oh. he was more incorporated into the series. <laughs> That's interesting to me because Pierce is such a, we haven't really talked about Pierce a lot, but Pierce is like a weird character. Pierce is like, the Pierce character is a lot like the the Barney character from How I Met Your Mother. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In that like nobody likes him. He sucks. He doesn't really contribute anything to the group except for pain. But we all keep him around for like a reason that nobody can quite understand. And the reason why I think community handles Pierce better than like how I met your mother handles Barney is because there's several moments in each season where the group is really close to cutting Pierce off. Right. And he's someone who's on the fringes of the group. They, he knows that his acceptance is very tacit. It's very conditional. And I think that's what makes it good. Like, it's not like, 
we don't like this guy. He's constantly pushing our buttons, but he's here. So there's nothing we can do about it, which is an approach that many shows take. Right. And it's like, there, and I will say there's something, the only, and like, this is, and like, this is the part of the community of community that's like bad. Right. Cause they're like, I'm, I'm not denying that there are a lot of problems in community, but like, it's weird that like Pierce is like rationally antagonistic to Abed, Shirley and Troy. And like, yet there's this, like, we have, they have, they have to keep him around for like a reason. And he never quite suffers the consequences. And it's like, but like, why is he here? I don't know. I think There's... he was more he was more here for the show than for the characters. Characters. And yeah. what I mean by that is the show needed someone like Pierce, your stereotypical older white man who was quote born in a different time and is antagonistic and racist and misogynist, but he's all those things not because he's hateful. He just doesn't know any better. This is a very common myth that white people like to spread around. Such and such was just born in a different time. They don't mean anything by it. He's that character. He is that character. And I thought, like, originally the show would use it to, like, interrogate that idea. That, like, oh, he can't. He just can't be any different. And it's part of the beef I think I have with the show. Because sometimes they do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they don't. Yeah, it's very wishy-washy. It's very sometimesy. <laughs> yeah, it's very time, time, sometimesy. It's very wishy-washy. Sometimes the show is like, no, like Pierce, like you, you can't, like you can't do that, and you don't really have an excuse. And sometimes the show is like, I whatever. And um, and I don't know. I think there was more there. I think there was more like there that they could do because even that idea of like you're this person who can't be any different but like you know that they can and you sort of like excusing it sometimes and then like being like no no seriously stop this other at other times that feels very honest in a sense yeah yeah i'll agree with that i do agree with that the season ends essentially actually with um and John Oliver comes back, Professor Duncan comes back uh, and recurs in a couple of episodes. But the season ends with the gang finding buried treasure um, in the basement, in like the in some lost basement, uh, in lost section of Greendale, in order to um, save, once again, save Greendale from being bulldozed and turned into like a subway franchise so what is your grade for season five good bad or basic uh i think season five is actually like a solid basic i think it's funny again but i think the i think it's just you know once you leave something you can't come back it like it doesn't feel like his heart's in it (laughs) but it probably isn't he probably spent a lot of time grieving (laughs) It it feels like, uh, but it's fine. I think it's more, I do think it feels more like the, it feels like a bit more like season three, but once again, more cohesive. Mm-hmm. So it's fine. And, you know, obviously like there are new people to replace the old people, which I hate, but it's fine. Um, and, and yeah. 
Yeah, same. I'm going to give it a basic. Yeah, it's it really feels like the soul of the show really did die and it's not come it's not, you know, not to be ever revived. Um I'm sure hopes were high when Dan came back, but yeah. Yeah, it 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 feels like he's done and like season 6, which is the last season, is the same way. In fact, season 6 is worse somehow cuz like he uses season 6 to like work out his issues I think that he had with like the network executives. I don't want to deal with you dealing with this. It's just one long diss track. <laughs> it is. It's one long oh. diss track. It's also like one long like negative net- network executives are awful, but whatever. And like I mean there are some bright spots, but like I don't even want to talk about season six. It feels like season six to me is like a true mess. Season six is a mess. I don't feel like anything was resolved. We don't even get, like, a good series finale. Like, I thought we, like, I thought at least we'd get this, like, really nice, sweet, like, poignant uh, series finale. And we don't. At the best, we get, like, I mean, the the only, I think to me, the only thing that, ha- that that's interesting that happens in the series finale is, is like, Annie and Jeff sort of have, like, this moment where she kind of thanks him for, like, not creeping on her. But then it's, like, but then it ends with, like, the possibility of, like, that they could get together in the future now that she's, like, grown up, essentially. Mm -hmm. And she's older. And I do think that idea is interesting, that, like, maybe the people, like, that people are right for each other, but you still have to let people grow up and like choose you of their own accord like that's an interesting idea to me right or that you know I I really feel like timing is very a real thing like you're not done growing you're not done maturing you're not done healing you're not done exploring it might not be the right time you know um that I guess the possibility of that in the way that the relationship was um, framed is the only saving grace of season six, which I feel is a season that is demonstrably bad. (laughs) Like my grade for season six is a hard bad. Like I don't even have any like favorite episodes from them. Not even the paintball episode. Yeah. I'm sorry, you guys. Um, And you know what? I might have forgiven this. If you hadn't, uh, if you guys hadn't, like, tried to introduce all these new people, introducing new people is bad enough. Introducing them in a comedic series, is it's next to impossible to make me care about these people. Community as a whole is, yeah, like, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I get, I get it. it. I'm going to pretend like the last two seasons didn't happen, but I, I do understand the allure of the show. And I watched the first half of Community, like, the first three seasons before, like, I don't know. I stopped watching because I got distracted by other things, I guess. And I remember really, really loving this show. This was a show that I could watch without feeling weighted and heavy and disturbed or unnecessarily provoked. And like I said, there's, like, a queer phobia in this show. There's a lot of, like, racial things that feel off. I will say that, like, at times this show has a sort of white liberal know-it-allness about it uh some particularly like when they approach like certain storylines that are that are complicated by race but like i told M, I think what saves the show from i think what ultimately for me uh saves the show is that it's not mean-spirited mm-hmm. like the show is truly wants 
to is about <laughs> community <laughs> and how uh, we are all interconnected with each other and Ooh. and friendship and um friendship and being there for your friends and coming through for your friends and I and how our communities and our friendships make us better people. And that's why it's important to honor them and to respect them and to to do what you got to do for your friends. Um, and that's that's something that ultimately I get behind. I'm going to agree with that. I don't expect much from white male creators or white creators in general. Yeah, I'm talking to the women too. Some of y'all be worse. <laughs> Amy Sherman, <laughs> Julie Plague. Um, but um, for for what it was, community at its best was a triumph. I really believe that. And there you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made the made community good, bad, basic, and hilarious. If you'd like to check out the series, Community is currently streaming on Netflix and Hulu. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic, be sure to share it with your friends. If you're a patron on our Patreon, be sure to check out our community playlist. Tune in next week as we keep this season going with a discussion on the first half of sci-fi's fantasy college drama, The Magicians. The Magicians is currently streaming on Netflix. Get into the series because you won't want to miss out on this conversation. The Good, the Bad, the Basic is currently streaming on all major podcast platforms, so be sure to tune into our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. You can follow us at the Good Bad Basic on Twitter and at Good Bad Basic Pod on Instagram to get in on our daily content. Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic, where our weekly episodes debut. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron over on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Until next time, bye everyone.